Welcome to Hillcrest Chapel Audio. We hope today's message will help you grow. Good morning. And I do hope you had a, uh, a happy Thanksgiving. Ours was wonderful. We had a lot of fun. I don't know about the airplanes and airports with all the kids, but the being with family was a wonderful time. I hope you had a good one. Thanksgiving as well. So uh, I do, you know, you, if you've heard me speak before, you, um, you've heard me talk about uh, my daughters. And um, one, of the, one of the things kind of in our family that we do is the bedtime routine has kind of fallen onto my shoulders. Just I, I, it kind of happened that way. So at our bedtime routine, we uh, the girls they all share a bedroom. They're in their beds, and I get into I'll crawl up and lay in the bed beside of them, and then we have what we call questions and tickles. Or question, question they get to choose. Do they want questions? Do they want tickles? Sometimes we do knock knock jokes. Um, but we'll kind of have this, you know, just kind of talk about the day and then what, you know, I'll make up, if they want me to make up a story, make up a story and then I'll, uh, I'll, I'll pray with them. And this is kind of, you know, this is how we, we end our, our day together. It's really sweet and I enjoy it. Um, but, and it's not so much right now, but in the past, a, a, another dynamic has occurred during this kind of special, um, time in the, uh, at the end of the day is the issue of fairness has arisen. And, um, like, who gets how much time and this kind of... And I think, and it's in the past, there's been seasons where I think if it were up to them, we would have an atomic clock in the room, and the time that each one received would be measured down to the millisecond. That no one got any more time with Dad than anyone else. And that, um, in fact, we'd probably have a calendar out for a year or two, determining the order of who gets to go first, second, and third. And that we would develop a rules and regulations um, uh, booklet that in case if someone's time got interrupted the kind of proper procedure that their time would be restored to them so they would get no additional time but they also wouldn't lose and there's this whole kind of fairness around this and uh, and you know I, it wouldn't be uncommon that's not fair he got more time she, you know she got more time and one of the great gifts that I have received as a parent I don't this will tell you a little about me is the ability to say it's not my job to make it fair. <laughs> that feels good. Uh, and I, <laughs> and, but I'll, I'll, I'll say, you know, I'll say, I love you. And um, my job is to take care of you according to what you need. And, uh, and I have a different relation with each one of you. It's not my job to make sure it's exactly equal. And sometimes one of you needs a little extra hug or a little extra time. And that's okay. Uh, my job is to take, take care of you. It's not to make everything exactly the same all the time. We are, uh, we're starting this new series of teachings, this season of Advent, Adventus, the Latin word that means arrival, and this season that we, we prepare our hearts again to remember the arrival of Jesus in human history. And we're, our teaching series, uh, this Advent, we're calling it Scandal. God was born. And the uh, kind of the inspiration, this word scandal, there's this, this word that theologians talk about, the scandal of the particular. Has anybody heard that phrase before? The scandal of the particular? Uh, it's kind of new to us. Scandal of the particular, there's, there are these elements in um, the Christian faith that are very, well, frankly, particular 
that seem to uh, maybe that, that rub people, particularly those in the modern world, the wrong way at times. Kind of how particular these assertions of the Christian faith are. C.S. Lewis talks about it in his book, Miracles. And I just want to read this quote because I think it kind of captures this scandal the particular well. Lewis writes this. He writes, Democrats, by birth and education, we should prefer to think that all nations and individuals start level in the search for God. Or even that all religions are equally true. It must be admitted at once that Christianity makes no concessions to this point of view. It does not tell of a human search for God at all. But of something done by God for, to, and about man. That is humanity. And the way that in which it is done is selective, undemocratic to the highest decree. And then he goes on and he, he, he describes it. And, he, and it comes to this. He says, the process grows narrower and narrower, sharpens at last into one small bright point like the head of a spear. It is a Jewish girl at her prayers. All humanity, so far as concerns its redemption, has narrowed to that. And this Jewish girl at her prayers that he is writing about is, of course, the teenage mother, Mary, who's pregnant with the Son of God, Jesus of Nazareth. And it's these particular claims that the Christian faith makes that, that, um, that, it's, that, that humans aren't on some kind of search for this God principle in the world. But that we claim that there is a God is a particular person with a will, with desire, and who has acted in particular ways at particular times in human history. And in fact has stepped into human history at a certain time, this time, and not that time, not that, but this time. And has spoken particular words in order to rescue men and women. And that there's something in us that maybe pushes back against that. That it's not fair, but I think what we'll find in this series of teachings that it's the particularity of God, that the story of Christianity is about God's search for us that is actually good news, and that God showing up in a particular time to a particular people in a particular family at a particular place actually grants this holiness, this sacredness, this value on the particularities of our lives. Of the times, people, families, and places of our lives. And that's what we're going to be looking at during this series of teachings. And this week, we're going to look at the idea of time. And how God showed up at a specific time. And what that might mean for the way we relate to the time in our life. So the text for this morning is going to be Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. Luke, uh, if you want to look it up in your Bible, it's way to the right. In the New Testament, it goes Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. And this Luke 2, um, the beginning of Luke chapter 2, we're gonna, this is going to be kind of our base text. We're going to come back to it each week during the season leading up to Christmas. Because all these different um, particularities about the birth of Jesus, time, people, family, place, show up in this passage. And so I'm going to read it, and then we'll talk about it together. The words will also be on the screen above. Luke, the historian, writes this. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. 
This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger, because there was no guest room available for them. All right, we're going to stop there. So uh, the, the, the one thing that I want to draw out of the text this morning is just this first, the first couple sentences there. And I think we, can we go back to verses 1 and 2? That, um, that Luke, the, the author of this, makes this particular historical claim that Jesus, the Son of God, God himself steps into human history in those days when Caesar Augustus issued a decree, when Quirinius was governor of Syria, a very particular time in history. And, and I know that may, and maybe you're there and you're like, yeah, but uh, don't Christians get the time wrong? Maybe, maybe you wonder about that because it's, Jesus wasn't actually born in the year zero. He was probably born between 6 and 4 BC because the monk who put the calendar together didn't have all the information. Now we know that it was probably 6 and 4 BC. And in fact, Jesus probably wasn't born on December 25th in the wintertime. Most likely he was born in the summertime when after the, 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 the fields around Bethlehem were harvested and it was just stubble and the drought had come and so the shepherds brought their sheep in from the, from the wilderness and, and, and had them um, graze on the stubble of the fields and fertilize the fields and it was warm enough so they could sleep outside at night. That actually might have been the summertime. But in spite of all that, the point still remains. We can argue about the time, but the assertion still is that God was born at a particular time in history. That it's not this universal principle that people search, but God stepped into human history to come and rescue a particular time. And I believe... That this actually, for Jesus followers, this changes how we think about time itself. How we think about time. That, that time, that God is not trying to get men and women out of time. But that the God of all reality steps into time and meets people in time. That means time is the medium in which we encounter the living God. Time is, it's, time is not just a resource to be used up as quickly to get stuff done. Time is a space in which we encounter the living God. Time is a gift. The Orthodox talk about, they, they describe time, time is the chalice of eternity. That the eternal God steps into time and fills it up to its fullest meaning. Time, time isn't just this thing to be used. Time is a gift, a place that we encounter God and others. This, I believe, is different than the way, at least for me and I think for many others, the, the patterns of thinking we have about time are very different than time as a gift, a place to encounter the living God. I think, for myself, that I tend to fall into thinking about time as a resource I don't have enough of. That I can either use efficiently or I waste. But either way, it's something, it's just it's this resource to be used. Right? So for here, let me show you a picture. This is my planner from earlier this fall. A few things going on. A child at some point put some zigzags over the middle of it. 
And, uh, but the, it was, you know, I have a lot going on. My guess is a lot of you have a lot going on. Who feels like their weeks feel like this sometimes? Yeah, sometimes? And it's not only that we're busy, but it's also there's something about like the calendar itself communicates to us. Life is a time is boxes to be filled in. That's what time is, boxes to be filled in. And the more things you can stuff in those boxes and check off, the better you're doing. Or maybe your, your weeks don't feel like this. Maybe your weeks feel like this sometimes. Can we go to the next slide? Who, who's had weeks that feel like this before? Right? And then we'll have seasons for whatever circumstances. That we have seasons of unemployment or, or, or poor health. And we'll have seasons that feel that they're empty. And when we fall into the mindset that time is boxes to be filled and checked off, and that is what makes us valuable, if those boxes are empty, it can be very discouraging. But the whole thing, it's, it's, it encourages us to think about time as just this, these boxes to be filled, not as a gift, a place to encounter the living God and others. I know one of the, circum- one of the situations in my life where I often feel like time is just this resource I need more of and I hate to have it wasted is uh, when I go through the border lineup. <laughs> I, for a number of years, we, we lived in Vancouver, B.C., and there was a year when I, uh, I was living up there and I served here at Hillcrest. So we were crossing the border all the time. We did have an excess pass. And so every time we went, it was like entering into the borderline lottery. You, you know, the border lineup roulette wheel. Because you're right, there's all these lines and all these cars lined up. And you, know, you have to choose the right one. And inevitably, I would get into the line behind and it would just stop. And it's like, what is going on up there? Someone's transporting a bunch of bowling balls with wicks. And it's like, what is happening? And, and then you're just stop. And then finally you're like, I'm just going to push my way over into this other line. And you, you know, cut somebody off and there's horns and you get over there. And as soon as you get to the other line, the one you just left turns into this fast-growing river of cars. just flying past and you're shaking your fist. And, and I was not my best self in those moments. But it's it, because it's not just there's this deeper thing of like, I have to use my time effectively and efficiently. And in those moments, my time was being wasted. And I certainly was not relating to it as a gift where I can encounter God and others like my wife sitting with me, just this resource. And, and, and I think that's it's this this that's this deeper thing I want to try and get at this morning that it's. Yes, we can be busy, and yes, there's this hecticness, especially around the holidays, but there's also this deeper thing of the way philosopher Charles Taylor, talking about this secular age we live in, he, he describes it as time getting homogenized and flattened out, that it's just boxes to be filled, and we lose our sense of sacred moments, sacred time. The, po- the holy possibility of encountering the living God and those he has put around us within time. And I think this morning as we look at the God who stepped into time, we're reminded that time is a gift, a place where we in- can encounter God and others. In the, the New Testament writings, there are... Uh, there's several different words used for time. And uh, two different ones that show up are chronos and kairos. 
Uh, everybody say Kronos. Kronos. Everybody say Kairos. Kronos and Kairos, two different words uh, for time used in the New Testament writings. And Kronos, we get the word chronology from it. Kronos is, uh, it's, it's clock time. It's TikTok time. It's, it's calendar time. It's one second per second time. It's one, it's one event after another event. Kronos time is time as boxes to be filled. It's, it's not meaningful time. Kronos, uh, chrono, we live in a Kronos time world. We have uh, Kronos calendars, Kronos clocks, Kronos watches on our wrists. We, we live in Kronos time, one second per second. Kairos is a different word for time used in the New Testament. Both these words show up. But Kairos, uh, it, it means something like the, the opportune moment, the appointed moment. And often divinely appointed. That the, the divinely set aside point in time, the sacred moment. Jesus, in uh, the, the book of Mark, the very first words he is recorded as saying by Mark are, he says, the kairos has come. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. The divinely appointed moment, the sacred moment in time, a a, a quality of time that's different from before and after has occurred. The opportune moment to encounter the living God has come near. Kairos is not about using time efficiently, effectively. Kairos is about encountering the living God. Kairos is not time just as empty boxes to be filled, one the same as the next. Kairos is about this time is where we can encounter God. This is the possible sacred moment. Will we be ready and watching for it? And it takes a God who steps into Kronos to turn it into Kairos, where we can encounter the living God within time. And so we see that time is a gift, a place that we can encounter God. And so I think to be Jesus followers, we have to recognize that as followers of Jesus, we live in a Kronos world, right? That's the world we live in. We live in a Kronos world. We can't just go be hermits in the mountains by ourselves. We live in a Kronos world, but we are people who are grounded in Kairos, in a Kronos world. We're people who are grounded, expectantly waiting and watching ready to encounter the living God and others, looking for sacred moments while we're in a Kronos world. There are a few practices that um, followers of Jesus have set aside, uh, followers of Jesus have pursued, and the people of God before Jesus even, the Jewish people before that, have used... To, to remind themselves to be grounded in Kairos. And these practices, they're like, like our, the bedtime practice in our family. This, the, the, this practice of being present to my girls. Because my girls need Kairos. They don't need me to show up and be like, okay, I got, you know, survivors on. We got to get through this, right? They need, they need presence. They need encounter. And so we have this practice in our family of setting aside time to be present to one another. And, and, and in the same way, followers of Jesus over the centuries have had practices where they step out of the, the tyranny of Kronos to be present to the possibility of the sacred moment of encountering God and others. And I want to talk about a few practices this morning. And just so you know kind of 
one of the books that has informed my thinking on this, and if you like to, if you want to read more about it yourself, is uh, Receiving the Day. It's by a woman author, Dorothy Bass. I'm going to put this here. If anybody wants to come and leaf through it uh, after the worship service, you'd be welcome to. But if you, if you want to read more about these practices and how to step out of Kronos time, that'd be a book that I'd uh, encourage. But the three practices, they're very simple. Um, there's a daily practice, a weekly practice, and a yearly practice. Can we go to that next slide? Daily practice, weekly practice, yearly practice. Uh, three practices to remind ourselves that we are Kairos people while living in a Kronos World. The daily practice is a very simple practice. Jesus people uh, do it, and people, uh, followers of God before Jesus did it. But it's setting aside time every day to simply be present with God. Setting aside time every day to be present to God. In prayer, reading some scripture, journaling. It could be at the beginning of the day, the end of the day. But it's a, it's a moment to say the, the clock, the watch, isn't going to define my day What's going to define my day is the, this uh, being present to the living God. That will define my day. So it's a daily practice. Daily practice, secondly, is a weekly practice. And the weekly practice is the practice of setting one day aside each week to be present to God and the people he has put in our life. And this is called Sabbath. And you are participating in it right now. As we gather for worship, this is a weekly practice where we gather together and we're present and aware of the living God. We're putting ourselves in the path of Jesus that he might encounter us. And the, 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 the practice of setting one day aside each week, it's like tithing our time. It's, it's this practice of saying, God, I set this day aside for you and those you've put, my, put in my life, trusting that there's going to be enough seconds on the clock. And, and, and God, I, I set this day aside to remind myself and those around me that I am not just a, a machine measured by how much I can get done, but my life is, it, the defining thing in my life is my relationship with you, God, and those you have put around me. So this is a weekly practice, daily, weekly, and then yearly. Uh, people of God throughout the millennia have said that it is wise to structure their yearly calendar around the great acts of God in history. And so as followers of Jesus, we, we structure our calendar around Christmas, Advent, the arrival of Jesus in history. We structure our calendar around Easter, Jesus' death and resurrection. We structure our calendar around Pentecost, the giving of the Spirit. And that we say that there's wisdom in letting those things shape our calendar, our yearly calendar. There's something that... that tomorrow, that tomorrow would be more defined by I'm preparing my heart to remember the arrival of Jesus in in history. It's the first day of Advent. That it'd be more defined by that than Cyber Monday. Right? That our calendar would be more defined by um, Jesus was crucified and resurrected. It would be more defined by that than tax days around the corner. That we would be grounded in Kairos, these encounters with God, while living in a Kronos world. So daily, weekly, yearly practice. And maybe you hear that and you're like, Tim, I don't really do any of those or a very few of them. And where do I start? And how do I begin that? And, and how could I even start? And, and guess what? I have a way we could start doing this together right now. How does that sound? The enthusiasm. I'm blown away by this. Oh, yes. There you go. So, um, hey, can, if you're an usher with one of those baskets, could you stand up? And 
this is what we're going to do. We, uh, over the last months, we have been designing uh, this Advent reader with scriptures for us. Um, Ushers, could you do this? Could you start passing those baskets so that every household in here could get one of these? And we'll just pass them down the aisles like we do with the offering bags. And um, so we would like every household, every uh, every household to walk out of the uh, here with one of these today. And um, I say every household because otherwise my kids would all take one for coloring books and we'd end up with 10 of them at home. And that's, you know, but if every household would have them, we, we would love that we all do this together. And this is a way for us to practice what I've been talking about this morning. On here is simply a scripture reading for each day from now until Christmas. And so this could be a daily, weekly, and yearly practice all at the same time. It's daily because you can set some time aside each day to read through this scripture and pray about it with your family, with your housemates. It's weekly because it's organized in weeks and we'll come back together every Sunday between now and Christmas to be again remembering, preparing our hearts for Advent. And it's yearly because this is structured around Advent, the season of preparing our hearts to remember the arrival of God in history. And I would encourage all of us, let's do this together. There's something powerful about a whole community doing something like this together. You know what I mean? It's, not, it's good to do this on your own now and again, but there's something when your whole commute, you're reading it, and you're like, oh, my whole church family is doing this. There's something good about that. And, and, and like uh, the Knuckles were saying, Talia was saying earlier, there's nothing, we don't have to do this perfectly to make God happy with us. It's covered in grace as well, but there's wisdom in saying, ah, oh, God, we're going to set time aside to be present to you to be present to those you put around us, to step out of Kronos and be open to the Kairos moment. Because that is when we, talk, when we get down to Christmas, that is what it's about. That we, we aren't manufacturing this. We sincerely believe that some 2,000 and a dozen years ago, we sincerely believe that there was a cave barn room reserved for animals most of the year and in this room there was a nervous dad and an exhausted teenage mother and they were holding a newborn baby boy and we believe that that even beyond the sacredness of the birth of every child that there was something even more sacred and holy the God who made all things had stepped into human history. That we don't seek out some God principle, but the God of all things comes searching after us. And we believe that that did something to time. That God, he, he, he made it holy in that moment. And that this is about the arrival of God in history. And the God who wants to arrive again in our histories. We believe it's about an encounter, a Kairos moment with God. And that he continues to want to encounter us. And he invites us to be people who are expectant, open, ready, waiting to encounter him.
Thanks for connecting with Hillcrest Chapel. For more info on this and other sermons, go online to hillcrestchapel.com or visit us at 1400 Larrabee Ave in Bellingham, Washington any Sunday morning, 9 or 11 a.m.